but before we jump into the scripture, we are in 1 John, the opening uh, verses uh, there, and I know I uh, told you where Pastor Carl was and was not, but who am I uh, for some? Uh, I'm Pastor Jim, one of the pastors here, uh, and uh, one of your elders serving uh, with Pastor Carl and the other elders, and so it's my privilege to uh, teach uh, today, and uh, the title of the message this morning is Fellowship and joy, and hopefully it'll be really obvious of why that is when you uh, uh, when we look into the scriptures together. But really, it's an introduction and a prologue of the first letter of John the apostle. And so let's just read the first seven verses uh, together with your eyes on your scripture there. Then we'll pray and we'll dive in. It says, "That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched." This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And he goes on. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we yeah, these opening verses, there's a lot there, and just to be introduced uh, to you, uh, Lord God, uh, you know, someone that uh, John the Apostle beheld, Lord God, in the flesh and in his ministry, Lord God, but we're called to behold uh, that same Jesus, that same Jesus that uh, was with the Father in the beginning and came to earth to live a sacrificial life, Lord God, one of uh, teaching and encouragement and healings and miracles, but uh, also... Lord God, laying down of his life and that of his own accord, and then to be crucified, dead, and buried, but risen, Lord God, on that third day, returning to you, Father, and just calling us into deeper fellowship still with you, Lord God, through your Son. It's an amazing, wonderful thing. So help us as we look at these verses, and that you would speak to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So today, we'll take the first steps, uh, what I'm going to call a journey through the first letter of the Apostle John addressed to his beloved church gathered, with our sights set on learning what it means for us today. The target destination on this journey, as set by the Apostle John, is the same for us, to bring us closer to God and closer to one another. If we are ever to find pure fellowship with one another and intimate fellowship with God, right, what I'll call real joy, a shared joy, and I actually heard it even this week again, I just love it. Joy can be, it works in the English language anyways, right? Uh, Jesus, others, and you. What a great thing to remember when it comes to joy because that's the whole idea and you're gonna see that uh, hopefully point uh, proved here today a little bit. So that'll be the result And it can only come by the way made through an authentic relationship with Jesus, the Christ. You're well taught here, right? We know Christ wasn't his last name. It's Jesus, the the man, the man made flesh, the man, the logos, the very word, right, have come to dwell among us. 
but yet he was Christ. He was the Savior. He was the Messiah, the promised one. All that is wrapped up just in those two words that we call the name, and we even sang about that. So I've set out a roadmap of sorts for seven messages as I have opportunity and occasion to cover the pulpit uh, for Pastor Carl from time to time. It's going to be sometime later in the summer for sure. Uh, and then on, hopefully, um, I don't know when, but we'll see, uh, or if, actually, I don't know if, if I'd be invited back, uh, you know, we'll continue on uh, in those messages. Uh, but with this first being an opportunity to introduce the background of sorts uh, and the outline and then jump into these opening verses, we'll, we'll encounter the real Jesus. You know, this is a presentation of the authentic, who is the real, who the real Jesus was and is, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And what Christ, real Christianity looks like, what it was supposed to look like then, what it was supposed to be like through the ages, and what it's supposed to be like for us today. And that way we're connected with this audience uh, of the Apostle uh, John here. So now only then by the knowledge, and you're going to hear this word knowledge a lot, right? Only by the knowledge, right, or the acknowledgement of the real Jesus can one be truly satisfied the first letter of the Apostle John was written for a very specific purpose, right? To a very specific uh, a church gathered. But undoubtedly, it was well circulated. It would, have been, it would have been written down for one. It would have been shared. It was uh, targeted for this beloved congregation of his. Uh, but then others would have had it too. And, and we have it ourselves today, right? Again, connecting us to that time. It was written around 85 to 90 A.D., all right, so it's a full second generation after the uh, resurrection of the Lord, life and ministry and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right, around that time. The Apostle John is an older <laughs> man at this time. He's old by today's standards, actually, by this time. He's probably in his 80s, 90, uh, and actually definitely old for ancient times. Right? He was one of the last apostles, the living apostles. Uh, all the others had died, uh, you know, some horrific uh, deaths as martyrs uh, for the gospel truth, the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, but he was also ex likewise exiled on an island of Patmos. And in the end, as an old man, uh, came to a martyr's death uh, himself uh, in a very horrible way. So the, my point is he has seen a lot. <laughs> and that is who's writing this church uh, here at this point, just a, a generation or so after Jesus lived and walked uh, among him, and he was a living witness. That's the thing. So this John, again, he's one of the 12. He also authored other writings. We had the Gospel of John with evangelism at its core, all right, presenting who Jesus was, the historical Jesus, the authentic Jesus. This and the follow-up letters of 2nd and 3rd John were addressed to true followers of Jesus Christ for warning and encouragement. So again, just keep that in mind. It's addressed to the church. So I'm primarily talking to the church. Anyone can listen in, but that's who it addresses, right? And it was addressing certain dangerous false teachings and that were sweeping through the church concerning Jesus Christ, right? Doctrine and Christian life or our conduct of followers of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we had the book of the Revelation, the final revelation, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, right, in the end days, ultimately given hope to the persecuted churches in, in John's day and to us today who also eagerly anticipate the second coming of Christ. 
this letter of 1 John really being somewhat of a non-standard letter. It doesn't have some of the Pastor Carl's teaching through the, uh, all the letters and the books of, of, of the Apostle Paul, you know, starting with 1 Corinthians here and onward. And a lot of them start out, right, by introducing the, you know, who the author is. It doesn't close what they did with letters that way back then. And then it would get to kind of who it was addressed to and sort of lay out the purpose and then do it. This letter is more like a sermon, really. It's, 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 it's put together more like a sermon. Uh, it's seemingly, this is my view, maybe you got clarity, more clarity on it. It's disjointed at times. It kind of jumps from place to place, and he jumps back again to the topic. But if, you know, but if you take time to take it in, it's really not that complicated. It can be repetitive in nature, and that's not a bad thing. Actually, it's a very good thing that it's repetitive, uh, yet it has a very pointed aim of protecting the flock. And I use that word flock on purpose, because you'll see here in a moment, but it's just the church gathered. Again, the people that uh, John loved. See, as elders, we all have the responsibility and duty to serve and protect. All right? I know that's on the side of uh, police squad cars and all, right? Their mission, but in a very different way, the elders have a, a not only responsibility, but a duty to serve and protect the flock, right? The church gathered under their care. Just a few scriptures, Acts 20, uh, 28 through 30. It says, keep watch over yourselves. That's key for us elders, yourselves. <laughs> and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Uh, we've never seen anything like that, have we? Yeah, seen a lot of it. In Titus 1.9, he must hold this, talking again to the teacher or preacher, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught uh, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. That's what the Apostle John was doing with this letter, and I believe that's what God wants to do uh, for us today, to encourage us with sound doctrine and be ready to refute those who oppose it, all right, and do it with passion. See, because the false teaching du jour, right, fancy name for the soup of the day, right, I'll have that, uh, you know, was, was Gnosticism, and I don't say that, it's just something you can't read a commentary without knowing that. Uh, or, you know, an understanding the Gnostic, that word, the Greek word we get the word know from is the root of that, or agnostic, right? Not, not knowing, not believing, believing in nothing, you know. So, so Gnosticism, right? It basically held to a strict dualism. You know, this is sort of a, enough, but we're going to go a little deeper, or a separation between the physical and the spiritual realm. Like, they really didn't have much to do one another, now, my intention today is definitely <laughs> not to pull us off into the proverbial weeds concerning this false doctrine, uh, certainly not beyond my own understanding, yet also with the sensitivity, though, that we need to understand enough to be able to identify similar issues in our day, because the, the Word of God is living and active, right, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's alive, so it has something to teach us today. For as in the apostle John's day, it's the same for us, right? There were many false prophets, false teachers, spirits not from God, <laughs> described by John as antichrist, right? Little a, antichrist in the plural, uh, just in a few spots, 1 John 4, 1 and 2, 18, many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Again, not to be confused with the Antichrist in the end times, right? Capital A, that's in the re- referenced in the book of Revelation. But there's Antichrists that were risen up in the day of John, in the very early church, and the same for uh, around us today. I looked it up in a Bible dictionary because I thought that'd be a smart thing to do. And uh, de- defined Antichrist as one who opposes Christ, imp- implying the usurping of Christ and his position. That's what they do, right? Then I want to insert themselves between God and man when we're supposed to have only one mediator, Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man or and man to God. Right? And so they would want to insert themselves in there, right? Some kind of the we have the secret, you know, kind of the secret closed society and we got, you know, the inner circle kind of stuff that you might uh, have spread around. But not only that, but usurping the position of Christ, and that's where the danger really lies. So this Gnosticism really, and even they didn't know what they believed, right? <laughs> With a group that had the, you know, the word no as their kind of their main thing, their badge of honor, uh, they kind of had two camps of that even, okay? Two fallacies, both wrong, and each counter to any chance of having true relationship with God. Number one, they were adversely affecting the Christian really in two ways concerning doctrine, right? Opposing and even pulling some away from holding fast to sound doctrine. That was the first adverse effect. And the second adverse effect was concerning conduct, opposing righteousness and actually promoting licentiousness and debauchery. Now, I, I love those words. I don't know why. I'm weird. I've always liked the, you know, they're a little oldie you know, word. We don't use that too much. You know, we don't talk about, we talk about things being bad or evil. Actually, evil is probably about as strong as we'll get. Like, you know, we want to be polite, you know, but debauchery, licentiousness, you know, right? There's some meaning there. And so a a dictionary would tell that licentiousness is, listen to this now, it's just a want of due restraint in any respect. A want meaning a need, a, a lacking, right? A want of due restraint in any respect especially wildly extravagant sexual immorality. We don't see any of that today, do we? Yeah. Or, or debauchery. This is extreme indulgence and sensual pleasures or dissipation. Seduction from morality, right? Seduction from morality, allegiance or duty. Isn't that what it does? It just pulls you away. It pulls you into something bad, but it pulls you away from morality, allegiance, and duty. It's, it's, it's a pretty serious state uh, to be in, in a debauched state. All right, so firstly, again, uh, adversely affecting Christians by the way of false doctrine. Uh, this they expressed about Jesus' humanity was not real. He only appeared to have a physical body. Again, right, they couldn't reconcile the physical and the spiritual. They, you know, they, 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 they couldn't understand how those things could be together. And what they were doing in the high-minded kind of way they're preserving Christ's deity at the expense of Jesus' humanity. Now, this would really alter the footsteps poem, if anyone gets that, any one person. <laughs> Someone's starting to get it, right? How are you going to have footsteps, you know, carrying you along? That's all, that's all I'm saying. All right, now it's silly, right? But more tragically, you take that to the end, and it caused for them to deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus, which is key to our faith. Because the scripture says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we're the most pitiful people 
ever. It's like, what, what's, what is, Christ isn't raised from the dead. What hope do we have of being raised up you know, uh, in, in the day? So that was a real false fall, or fallacy there. And that, then the other side of the coin was, again, they couldn't decide what it was. So Jesus' humanity either wasn't real, they couldn't reconcile that, or Jesus was only a man, and that the divine Christ ascended at his baptism, but he left before the crucifixion, right? Preserving Jesus' humanity at the expense of his deity. Well, then what happens about the, the sacrificial, you know, atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross, spilling of his blood on the cross for our sins? If, if Jesus the Christ didn't die on that cross for us, that he was laid in the grave, but then resurrected and ascended to, you know, back to be to the Father's side, all right? They, they, they were destroying all those uh, fundamental truths of the gospel message. But this can be countered by truth. And I'm just going to look at a few places, actually, to, to John's writing in his gospel. John 1.14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Pretty you know, period in my scripture. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And then 1 John 4, 2, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So he's just laying it out there, keeping the two together. Jesus, the Christ in the flesh. But okay, it affected us in, in doctrine, but it also affects us adversely uh, in, in Christians' view of sin or what might be acceptable conduct for a Christian. And again, it's kind of, again, you know, two sides, again, of this coin of Gnosticism. You know, one was a compartmentalism, right? This is where deeply spiritual, yet living an open, carnal existence, right? Licentiousness and debauchery. Right? Believing that one doesn't affect the other. We've probably met people. Maybe we've been people like this. You know, I just worship God in my own way, you know. You know, dude, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, and go off and do whatever you want to do, you know. Because well, this body is nothing. I'm just a spiritual being. And, you know, that's new ages. And there's nothing new in the new age, okay. Let's make, you know, understand that. But now the other uh, flip side of this coin of compartmentalism, right, where the, the spirit and the body don't have any effect on one another, is legalism, right? An extreme monastic uh, pulling away attitude, deny or suppress the physical nature as if we could. <laughs> We've tried, you're, you know, you're looking at someone who has tried. We can't suppress it enough, <laughs> Right? But nor is it wholly evil, like the Gnostics would say. No, there is some very redeeming things. You're God's creation. You're created in his image. Right? We, we bear the light of Christ when you're a Christian and all those things. And so the physical body is, is a wonderful thing, not to be put down in that way. Yes, we have to yield to the Holy Spirit, but that's a whole different way. Because this legalism, all that does is make way for all manner of false claims, foolish actions, and meaningless rituals. All right, just stack them up, add them up, whatever maybe other church background you're from or, you know, or foolish things we thought in the world. But we need to know this, that all the while they're, be, they're being spiritually impoverished and blind. For uh, Jesus said himself, he addressed the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3.16, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
that's quite a state to be in. But, you know, what's worse is that, you know, to not know that you're in that state <laughs> is really, that's the ultimate, de- you know, definition of deception is you don't know you're, you're deceived. You think the opposite. So on one hand, right, elevating the spirit, the heart, the mind, and emotions, they're good, while on the other hand, presenting the body as hopelessly evil. Maybe I should have just said that and forgot all the other stuff, right? So we get that, right? And that's what they were doing, but it wasn't right. These false teachers were stirring up trouble in the church by denying the truth, again, of the authentic Jesus, right? Simply replacing it with, usurping, inserting themselves in the middle uh, with their own foolish understanding, their secret inner circle kind of stuff. And what was sad is, and people bought it, and some were pulled away. And that was John's heart. That's what broke his heart as, as a, a pastor and elder there. So 1 John 2.22 says this, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is an antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Okay, he intricately <laughs> connected those two things. All right, and we're going to expound on this a little bit more, so I'll resist at the moment. See, Jesus himself preached against this dualism, right? Proclaiming that the head and the heart, meaning the body and the spirit, are of one being, right? Where over and over again, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, where you have these expressions of, you have heard it said, then he says, but I tell you, right? He kind of says, you know, you've heard it said, your, your worldly wisdom tells you this and that, but, here, but I say, you've heard it said, but I say over and over again, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Making that hand-to-heart connection in all matters, right? Equating murder to hate, adultery to lust, just looking upon in a lustful way. Divorce, he uh, likened to hardness of heart, and so on. Take a fresh look. I'm going to sign some homework here, because I'm not going to be here for a few weeks now anyhow, so I'll give you homework, all right? Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just read the Sermon on the Mount afresh. And, uh, and see what it has to say. See, we have both a warning against false teachers and their destructive doctrine, but and a blunt reminder for Christians concerning our view of sin and conduct. Right? He's directly addressing the church, but the others would catch when they would know, right? No names are mentioned. <laughs> he's not mentioning any names, but they would know, oh, he's, he's talking about me. I'm an anti, you know, they would have known. See, it is and was an invitation to remain in close fellowship with God the Father by the way made by his son, Jesus Christ. That's the invitation. And there's, uh, I find, four reasons that John wrote the letter. I know it can definitely be more, depending on you, how you define a reading, uh, a reason. But, you know, you have some repeated phrases, again, depending upon your translation, where John literally says, I write these things, so that. <laughs> and so that's called the clue. If you were to read through the very short letter of 1 John this week, you'll kind of see these and pick these out. But he said, I write these things to make our joy complete. Oh, that was in verse 4. I write these things so that you will not sin. That's in uh, verse 2-1. And then so that you may not be deceived, right? Or resist those who are trying to lead you astray in chapter 2-26. And then also so that you may know you have eternal life in uh, chapter 5, verse 13. And that's just for assurance of our salvation. What a wonderful gift 
uh, we've been given uh, through this little letter, this little gem, right? So we'll be touching on these points today, but we'll also be revisiting them several times in context as we work uh, our way through the rest of the letter uh, in coming weeks. And uh, so, you know, John boldly proclaims, he makes known, right, the real authentic Jesus. And he's plotting our waypoints for this journey with the how-tos, right? How to know what we need to know. I like that. He doesn't just tell us what the problem is. He tells us how, you know, to get to where we need to be and stay where we need to be, right? All the while being on the lookout for what I call the over and over again phrases, like, for instance, if you read through the letter, the word know or a form of know or known is used at least 40 times to describe some aspect of direct experience or an inner reality of intuition. These are things that you know. Since you know this, you know, do such and such. And it's just constantly over and over in the letter over 40 times. See, so actively confronting the reality of light and darkness, how to walk or live in this world it's passionately calling us into pure fellowship, how to experience true koinonia. You're well taught here. You, you know that word. And a very simple definition of that is just an in common relationship with God and each other, meaning we have this relationship. You know, uh, it's not that everyone has their own relationship with God, right? We, it, we do. That's true and only. It's great that we can all have even the, we connect with John and other saints through the ages and we all have this relationship with God. But it's not until you get and understand the horizontal relationship that we're supposed to have with one another, kind of completing that journey, that journey, you know, completing that circle, if you would, right? And it's, that's what's making our joy complete, right? That we're all having fellowship with the Father and in the Son because of the Son, and you, you through Jesus, and me through Jesus. We're fellowshiping with the Father. We're fellowshiping with one another, right? I mean, just you know, tumble that around in your mind a little bit, all right? And that is God's. Um, you know, uh, desire for us. It was the apostle uh, John's uh, heart for his people, for sure. See, the apostle John's pastoral call in his day is our call as well, to know God, to obey his commands, and to love God and love each other. That's the message. That's the way we're supposed to be conducting ourselves. <clears throat> and the letter here is, it's all with the intent to protect us from being drawn away from the one true path. James 1, 16 and 17 says this, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and, and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, I like this idea of shifting shadows, right? There, there's no blending of these two opposites. or opposites, light and darkness, couldn't be far enough apart, couldn't be more different. It's like up here where a brighter light shines one shadow, but then a lesser light comes in at a different angle and, and casts kind of a gray shadow, right? There is none of that in God, right? And he is light, and in him is no darkness at all, John tells us. James tells us he does not change like shifting shadows. So we need to know that. But what does the light do? The light reveals and that's another good point for us here this morning is, Jesus said himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Wow, what's, <laughs> I don't, what's better than that? Someone that's in fellowship with God and the Father and Jesus, you know, we're, we're, we're in there. He includes us in that. Or Psalm 119, 105, you, you know, you have the plaque, you have the 
cross-stitch at home, I know, right? Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I love that. It's just, it's like there's a lamp lighting right here where I'm at, so God is with me presently. But it's also a light for my path. It's not like a lighthouse beacon out in the distance where we can see everything because we can't handle that. But where he's taking you next, right? That next step is lit, and the path that he wants you on is lit. And that's the word. And as we have a deeper understanding in it and we grow in maturity, God's going to just keep extending that light for you along the path that he has for you. All right? And Ephesians 5, 8 tells us really where we need to be concerning that light. For you were once in darkness, true, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Simply stated, sin breaks fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. See, the letter opens with the apostles' credentials, an eyewitness report of the incarnation of Jesus the Christ, right? Presented as the word of life, actually the word of the life, right? revealed. He just says Jesus Christ revealed this life to us. Right? This contrasts God's way and the wisdom of man. You know, God's uh, self-presentation is revealed by Christ. Who God is revealed by Christ. It brings us into pure fellowship and joy. That's what the opening passage said. Whereas our own self-assessment or antichrist teachings, if we you know, fall in and slip in or pulled away by them, that leads to nothing but deception and destruction. The exact opposite of complete joy. And so that's kind of, I know that's a lot of foundation. It's a lot of background. Uh, very, very helpful to me as I studied. I hope uh, at least a, a fraction is helpful to all of us here. But let's dive into these first few verses again and, uh, and look for definitely the application. So we're going to step in here in verse 1 where it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So a question, it's, it's rhetorical in a sense for right now, but definitely a question I want, want you to thinking about is where are you going to learn the purpose of your life? Where are you going? Where are we going to point others maybe? Where are you going to learn the purpose of your life? Now, we don't have to look too hard to realize that people are searching for meaning and purpose and they're coming up short these days. Right? The Apostle John beheld this reality again, that whole first-person account that he's given. But we are also likewise called to behold the same thing, to, to look and see and to touch and feel and interact. Right? See, John deals with this right out of the chute, both barrels, one aim with a single purpose, directly addressing those who stayed, right? addressing the church, his beloved church, and also indirectly those who left. In 1 John 2.19, it says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, that's one of those ones that I look at and say, well, John, you know, couldn't you have said it better? You know, hey, they, they, they left us so they were never part of us, you know? Do we, maybe you get it, I, you know? But just look at that. That's basically what he's saying there. The very fact that they left, and not, they proved they were never really with us. 
then it's, then it's kind of crystal clear. See, Jesus is presented as the meaning and purpose of life to both groups through this letter. One to their shame, but the other for their assurance, even the assurance of our salvation. So the same time, the words that he's using to encourage the church would have also been a little, you know, a little heart check uh, for those who had left, for sure. But verse 2, right? See, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So see how, again, that circle, Jesus Christ, the Father and us, right? If the answer to the previous question of where are you going to learn the purpose of your life, if that answer is some vague reference to God or a higher power, the next question has to be, well, where are you going to go to learn about God? Well, John 1.18 from the Gospel of John says this, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is God himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. I'm, I guess I'm going to, I'll take door number Jesus, right? <laughs> John 17.3 in his prayer for the disciples. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The invitation is there. Matter of fact, the only way is laid out for us. See, his eternality and reality of his incarnation is boldly proclaimed, but it's set up as a way, the only way that we can come to be in fellowship with God. So verse 3, see, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, all right, I'm just, it's repetitive, and it's good. See, this koinonia was being brought back into proper view. John knew that many false teachers were misusing the, the term koinonia. They were claiming to have the sort of the secret, you know, uh, come on over here, and we're fellowshipping. We got, we got all this stuff going on. You know, come with us. And that was hurtful enough that they went out from them, right? Not being of them, but they went out from them, but they were pulling people away. That's where the pastor got righteously angry, right? But they were misrepresenting God. And that John wouldn't uh, stand for. I have a quote from a, uh, another guy uh, named Pastor Carl. Uh, the benefit of being uh, here uh, in this church uh, some decades now is lots of notes in my Bible and even my Logos app. Uh, but uh, where it says this, fellowship is meant to be a vital, alive, experiential relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, and with one another. This koinonia was an essential part of the early church, the reason for their courage and power of witness together. Pretty good stuff, Pastor Carl. They, they sometimes say that, you know, if you steal something from a pastor, you've stolen twice. And, uh, but, uh, and so if you steal from me, you're stealing at least three times, you know? Uh, but uh, that, that's good stuff, right? So whereas verse 3, right, that's an invitation to go deeper into this relationship. Verse 4 is the result. We write this to make our joy complete. All right, real joy. Where is real joy found? Well, it's in knowing him well. It's your life lived well in the light of Jesus, right? Obeying his word and loving each other. That's where joy is found. The heart of the Apostle John was this in 2 John 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. 
In uh, 1 John 3, 3 and 4, actually just verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It sort of completed that joy for the apostle John. And we'll let Jesus have the final word here. John 15, 11, uh, that wonderful section of scripture, right, with the vine and the branches and being connected and in fellowship uh, with, with Jesus, right? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Wow, that's directly from Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Those five words change a lot, <laughs> right? In verse five and seven, they begin sort of the next subtopic of sorts, right? Being the first hint of how we need to be in true fellowship with God. Talking about light and darkness, in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Right, we're revisiting that again, right? But verse 5 is an absolute statement of holiness as expressed in the affirming contrast. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You know, Get it? He's making it. It couldn't be clearer the way that John presented that. See, God cannot and does not change. That's what we need to know. And it's fundamental to many of us, right? But believe it and live that way, right? Verse six and seven brings more clarity where we see first of the several contrasts. And I like to call this is where you're gonna see this repeated through 1 John, right? If we claim something, yeah, this. But if we do this, this happens. I mean, it's just this thing that John does and shows us just makes it very clear as you take time maybe again even to read through the letter this week until we have time to to, uh, visit it again together. But verse 6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. Again, back to that reality of you cannot find God in the darkness. He's not there. That's not where you're going to find God. And uh, yeah, I've been to some dark places. (laughs) Some of you as well but we've been called out of that, right, into his glorious light, and uh, to never go back, frankly, right? And I know the pull is there, and I know it happens, but if you have the light of Jesus in you, (laughs) we're going to walk with him, because verse 7, right? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. Wonderful, right? See, verse 7 tells us Only in the light can we experience fellowship with God. And then only because of the blood of Jesus. That's got to be clear. And I tried to think of a way where I could understand it. I think I I finally sort of understood this as I was studying, but I said, okay, how do I tell you? And so I have this quote uh, from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, and it helped me, hopefully it helps you. But it says, it is significant that John talked of walking in the light rather than according to the light. Right? And listen here. To walk according to the light would require sinless perfection. It would make fellowship with God impossible for sinful humans. To walk in it, however, suggests instead an openness and responsiveness to the light. Response is the key there. Right? Then this statement Indeed, only in virtue of the Savior's work on the cross can there be any fellowship between imperfect creatures and the infinitely perfect God. That's the way uh, that is made for us. And again, some gold from Pastor Carl Dixon uh, in the outline of my Logos notes. 
Uh, religion tells you that you're okay because of how you live. Christianity tells you that you're okay because of how someone else lived. And it's Jesus, yes? Right? The closer we draw near to God, the more revealing that light is. Exposed. How does that make you feel? How does that make me feel? Right? I'm asking the same question. Right? Now, in serious, that's not, it's, you know, maybe rhetorical for now. I don't necessarily need you shouting out. But, you know, hey, I'm going to reveal a lot. I don't know. But, uh, you know, Take that with us. How does that make you feel, you know, being exposed to the light? And it, it, it can be cutting, but it can also be very good. Wow, God knows me, and he still loves me? You know, he's called me into his light to walk as Jesus did. I mean, walk in that light, it's a wonderful thing. Doesn't have to, you know, only condemnation only comes from the enemy, right? Conviction of the Holy Spirit and a response that when things are revealed, we're to deal with them. And actually, that's the next, I know you're saying, why does he stop in verse 2, 8, 9, and 10 and into chapter 2? <laughs> that's some deep stuff. And we're going to get into that next time I have opportunity. But for this, so as we consider this, let's have the worship team back. They're going to help us with an opportunity to reflect on all that we've heard and received this morning. You know, I pray that we can benefit from uh, pondering these few final scriptures and then the worship. And I, I was thinking this, the, the worship this morning was just wonderful, <laughs> both services. And uh, what makes it wonderful, again, is that fellowship with one another. Uh, it, yes, we can worship God on our own, but man, what a joy it is to worship, I mean, just specifically with you, not, you know, others, yes, but no, specifically with you this morning, it's been, been wonderful. And yes, worship can absolutely uh, prepare our hearts to, to listen to the word. It's a good place to be. But then I believe that the teaching and receiving of the word of God uh, should inspire us to worship in a new way. And so, you know, maybe, you know, we should have the teaching first and then, you know, a whole worship set. But no, I think this is best. We get, we get the best of both. Your hearts get prepared, you get the word, and now this final worship song shared together uh, can also continue uh, to draw us into the presence of God. And so just a few closing verses. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Again, that question we're pondering. <laughs> How does that make us feel? And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's the key, right? Becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's his promise. And once again, just verse 7, and then we'll worship. And I'll be, uh, stay up here if you want to worship, uh, obviously, in your seats, standing or sitting. Uh, you want to pray with someone at the altar, I'll be here. Uh, if more than one and a half pe persons come up for prayer, uh, elders and other leaders here, be alert to that. Uh, but we'll be here to pray uh, with you as well. But verse 7 of our text said this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son, Jesus' his son, purifies us from all sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.